Thank you, ladies. Good morning. My name is Anjanette Walshauser, and I am part of the teaching team here at Women in the Word. And I am excited to be able to continue on in our study this fall, Wise Up, a look at wisdom God offers us in Proverbs. And this morning, we are specifically going to look at the wisdom that God has to offer us on the subject of money. Now, I'm curious, is all this talk of wisdom that we've been doing this fall stirring in your heart that you desire to be a woman of wisdom? I mean, I really I have to confess to you guys that before doing this study, my view of wisdom was really very short-sighted. I would pray that God would give me wisdom in specific circumstances. Like if I had a decision to make that I didn't quite know what to do, then I would pray that God would give me wisdom. And I would find myself praying that for other people. They were like struggling with something and I'd say, oh, I would pray that God would give you wisdom. Well, what God has done during these last few weeks is remind me that his wisdom is right here. And that I have the privilege of hiding his word in my heart so that I can walk with him on a daily basis as a woman with wisdom. I'm so thankful um, that he has used this study to remind me of that truth. Um, Today, the title of our lesson is Honoring God with Money. A wise woman honors God with his money and I want to be that wise woman that honors God with money. Now, money is an interesting topic. It can be something that is very divisive. You know, you have the haves and the have-nots. It's all over the media right now with the political place that we are in, with the elections coming up. You have the rich, the poor, and the middle class. It's all about classifying people. And, and we tend to almost feel uncomfortable sometimes when the subject of money comes up, whether it's because of the stereotypes that we hear other people say or the stereotypes we have, or maybe it just feels a little uncomfortable when somebody starts telling you what to do with your money. And so what I want us to do this morning, maybe you are sitting here feeling a little unsettled um, by maybe a conversation that happened in your small group or, or whatever, and I just want to make sure that before we even start our lesson, that you look on your verse sheet. The very first verse on your verse sheet is Proverbs 22, verse 2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. We are all equal in God's eyes because we are all created in his image And I am no more precious to God than you because I have more money or because I have less money. We are all the same before him. There is no partiality that God shows us. Now, the Bible has more than 2,000 verses on money. That's nearly 15% of the Bible is dedicated to the subject of money. So we have to conclude God has something that he wants us to learn about this. And the title of our lesson today, Honor God um, with Money, comes from the verse, Proverbs 3, verse 9. And I wrote that at the top of your outline so you could see that. Honor the Lord with your wealth, for, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Now, in your small groups this morning, you discussed honoring God with money. And I believe that there's a difference between obeying God and honoring God. Now, we can honor him 
by obeying him, but it has to be obedience that comes at a deep heart, authentic level. It's not just what happens on the outside. And when I was considering this, I was reminded of a story that my mother always tells on my brother. Um, I have one brother. He's five years older than me. He lives in North Carolina. And I'm excited to tell a story on him, not on me. So this story, my, um, my mom always tells, is when we lived outside of Chicago, Illinois, And my brother was five, I was just a baby, and he was going to kindergarten. And it was a wet, snowy morning, and he was wearing um, galoshes. Do you remember those galoshes that you could, like, slip on over your tennis shoes? I don't even know if they make those anymore or if it's just because we live in Texas. I don't see them. Either way, he had these galoshes. He went to school, and the teacher um, reminded him when he walked in, Now, Kevin, you need to take your galoshes off before you take a seat. Well, there's just a little bit of stubbornness that runs in our family. And so he said no. And she thought, well, I'm going to be a little bit more stern. So she said, Kevin, you may not wear your galoshes and your tennis shoes at the same time inside the school. So my brother sullenly walks over to the bench, very slowly undoes the button, takes off his galoshes, and then pauses, takes off his tennis shoes, puts back on the galoshes and takes his seat. He obeyed the letter of the law, right? He said, don't wear your ten-, the teacher said, don't wear your tennis shoes and your galoshes. He didn't do that. I think that's what we do sometimes when reviewing money. It reminds me of, you know that, I'm sure we've all heard the illustration about this preschooler whose mom tells him to sit down. And eventually he sits down and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm still standing up. And I think that is what we do when it comes to money. That's what I do. I think, you know, I do okay. I'm tithing. I'm trying to give. I'm making sure that I'm being a good steward of the money that God gives me. And then, we all have those and thens, right? And then, I'm discontent because I want a dining room in my house. Flat out. I love where I live. I love the house that God has provided for me but I want a dining room. We have an eat-in kitchen, and it's great. I love having people over and being able to um, just have great conversations around the dinner table. But by the time you get my husband and myself and our three children and another family with their three children, it starts to feel a little bit crowded. And I start to believe the lies that unless I have a dining room, I can't really invite people over. And I start telling God, you know, if I had a dining room, I'd be able to tell more people about you. I'd be able to bring you more glory in my home if you would just give me a dining room. Because y'all don't do that, right? You don't start telling God how to bring more glory to himself by giving you what you want. When honestly, if I really wanted to honor God, wouldn't I be thankful for what he's already provided me? Wouldn't I use the things that he has given me recognizing he created the world with a whisper. He parted the Red Sea, turned water to wine, raised people from the dead. If he wanted me to have a dining room, he could give me a dining room. But rather, I'm going to accept what he has given me. Today, our big idea, if you walk away with, from this lesson this morning with nothing else, I want you to remember that a woman of wisdom honors God with his money. These principles that we're going to look at in Proverbs 
are ones that a wise woman will remember. The truth of God. Turn with me in Proverbs to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 9, starting in verse 9. Now we have an abundance, I've already said, of verses that we are going to look at. We have a couple, about three or four places specifically that we're going to look at in, in the scripture itself. And then if you'll notice on your verse sheet, I tried to put as many verses as I possibly could on there. So we're going to be going back and forth from Proverbs that are on your verse sheet as well as what is in your Bible. Starting in verse 9, chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, in God's great love for us, he's given us a way to keep him the most important thing. In, in verse 9 we see, Honor the Lord with your wealth. He's provided a way for us to remember that he is first. You know, to honor means to esteem, to hold in great regard. We could even say here that this verse is, show God how great you think he is by giving him your best. Before you take anything for yourself, giving him what is best. Be grateful for what God has provided. Our first thing that we need to remember, first principle that we need to remember as a wise woman, is that all money is God's money. All money is God's money. Now you may look at these verses, especially in 9 and 10, and say, well, Anjanette, it doesn't say that it's God's money here. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your crops. But remember, who is it that gave us the ability to work the field? To have the intellect, to be able to be successful in business. I mean, looking at the crops, who even made it possible that we could have all of our provision from a little bitty seed? That in and of itself is a miracle. All money is God's money. He's the one who created Everything that we do, he's the one that gives us the ability to enjoy it, and we give it back to him. All money is God's money, and we need to be grateful for whatever it is that God has given us. Now, the first time that I ever really thought about all money being God's money, a friend of mine was sharing with us um, about some struggles that he was dealing with financially in his family, some medical bills that they were having to walk through that was really becoming a stress and a burden for his family. And so he decided that what he was going to do was take his family to go hiking. They went to a nearby nature center, spent some time together as a family, and when they got back to their car, they realized that their car had been bashed in, that somebody had stolen everything inside, completely stripped it down. And my first gut reaction is, that is awful. I mean, it'd be awful for anyone, but particularly somebody who is striving to honor God and yet is struggling so much with finances, and then this happens. But you know what brought me back to the focus was when he made this statement. 
I don't understand why God would choose to spend his money on a broken windshield when I have all these other bills to pay. And that totally changed the way I looked at it. Because it's true, right? It's God's money. There's nothing that we have. And sometimes my response is, oh God, this is happening. Can you believe that this is going on? I can't believe this is what's, what's going. How are you going to provide? But it's not a surprise to him. It's his money. And if he chooses to spend his money on a broken windshield instead of what we think is important, that's his prerogative. Now, we have verses three and nine, I mean three, verse nine and 10. Honor God with your wealth, and then He will bless you. We could look at that and think it's a typical if-then statement, right? If God does this, then He's going to do that. But we have to remember that Proverbs wasn't written as promises. These are generalizations. Generally, these things are true. Because if we start looking at this as a promise and we say, well, if we honor the Lord with our fruit, then he's going to bless me, aren't we really just looking at God as a sound investment? It's a good return. It's good business sense. If we give this to him, then he's going to bless us tenfold. And we also have to remember that verses 9 and 10 have to be looked at in light of verses 13 through 15, where God tells us very clearly that what he gives us wisdom is far more precious than gold or silver. Lynn spent quite a bit of time on this verse, particularly our second week as she looked at lady wisdom. And so in verse 9 and 10, we have honor God with our first fruits. And in verses 13 through 15, we're reminded that what God has to offer us is more precious than gold or silver. And I love that God put verse 11 and 12 right there in the middle of it. Because honoring God with your first fruits doesn't mean that you won't experience his discipline. It doesn't mean that there won't be hard times in your life. And we've got to know that discipline here doesn't mean punishment. Discipline here means that God wants to do whatever he can in order to keep you dependent on him. Tom Landry, who's the beloved Dallas Cowboys coach, made this statement. Discipline is the practice of doing something you may not want to do in order to become the person that you long to be. The practice of doing something you may not want to do in order to become the person you long to be. And I would venture to say that you women here long to follow God. That's why you spend your time each week coming to the Bible study. You long to walk intimately with him. But none of us really enjoy that discipline, do we? But it makes us closer as we walk with him. And sometimes God chooses to use that discipline in our life when we are in experiencing great abundance. And sometimes he does that in our life when we are experiencing great want. But it doesn't change the fact that God is trustworthy. And if you look in Proverbs chapter 3, just a few verses before where we read in 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. If we can 
trust God with all of our heart, surely we can trust him with our money, too. The next principle of being a wise woman is that she remembers the limitations of money. Now, without a doubt, every woman in this room can say, life is easier when we have a little bit of money. When our basic needs are taken care of. And there's nothing that is wrong with that. Proverbs 10.22 on your verse sheet says, The blessings of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. Having money makes life easier. It can even open up opportunities for us to enjoy things that bring glory back to God. It is a good thing to have the ability to be able to go and travel to see the masterpieces that God has created in nature. That can bring glory to him. But it's when we start relying on money to satisfy our deepest needs that we fall short. Because only God can satisfy our deepest needs. Only God. Ecclesiastes was also written by Solomon. And on your verse sheet in verse, um, chapter 5, Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. In all the plenty that Solomon had, he realized money can't buy happiness. Now, this is not a new concept, right? I mean, it's a saying, we all know it's true, money can't buy me love, money can't buy me happiness. You can go see movie after movie after movie, right? Where the main character has all this wealth and he's not satisfied. That's not what is going to bring us satisfaction. And yet we still go after more and more stuff. We know the truth and yet we believe the lies that the world has to offer that somehow we can be satisfied by more and more things. A second limitation of money is that money doesn't last forever. Literally, you can't take it with you. Proverbs 23, 5 on your verse sheet. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. Well, they will surely sprout wings and fly into the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 11:4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whereas wealth may add to your comfort in your day-to-day -day life, when you die, it's not going to deliver you from anything. It is only by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God that we are made righteous and that we have the ability to spend forever in heaven with God. Money is not eternal. Money cannot satisfy. A wise woman remembers that all money is God's money. A wise woman remembers the limitations of money, and a wise woman remembers the temptations that come with money. On your verse sheet, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When we start depending on money rather than on God, we're tempted to wander from our faith. We're tempted to bring on a world of hurt 
as my grandmother would say. Because money is going to disappoint us. Money is fleeting. It's going to fly. All you have to do is just glance at it, and it's off. Money is fleeting. Money will disappoint you, so depend on God. Turn with me now over to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. As we continue to look at what are the temptations that come with money. Have you ever wondered why those people who don't, don't know Jesus almost have this unquenchable thirst for more and more and more money? They never seem to be able to be satisfied with it. And, and why is that? It's because the world doesn't offer any security. Their security, we know the truth that security only comes from God. But so many times we get tempted to believe that if we just have enough money, we can feel secure. Um, when I was in college, I spent a summer in Papua New Guinea with some missionaries. And while I was there, I was, had the privilege of talking with some of the tribal women who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And um, it was interesting. I, I won't ever forget this conversation I had with one woman. She had um, had a sick child that the missionaries had taken she and her daughter to the United States to try to get some medical attention to help her dying child. And while she was here in America, she saw the wealth that is America. And she said to me, I'm sad that you have to go back to America. I'm sad that you have to live there. And I'll never forget what she said next. She said, I would rather be hungry and remember that God is the one who provides the food. I would rather watch my child die and remember that God is the one who brings life than to live every day in a country that lies to you that you can somehow survive without God. I hadn't ever really thought that I lived in a country that was lying to me every day that I can survive without him. Look with me in, in chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it, an unscalable wall. Now the visual image here is of a field with this great big tower that's looming high right in the middle of it. And you have workers that are tilling the field. And at the first sight of danger, they run for the tower. They run for their place of security. And God says that he himself is that tower. It doesn't say that he sends a band of angels down to take out whatever the danger was. God himself is that tower. He is the refuge. And that tower is not weak. That tower is not small. It looms high. And yet those of us who are on the ground easily find our way in because God has made a way. He doesn't say that the place of refuge is hiding in a cave, that we have to scrounge around underneath the brush to be able to find the entrance. But he also doesn't say that this place of refuge is filled with comfortable couches for us to lay back on it and enjoy the delicacies that would satisfy our stomachs. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and it may not be comfortable, 
but it is secure. It is safe. And the contrast comes in verse 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Anytime that we believe that money is going to bring us security, it's all in our imagination. There's not any truth to that. The temptation is to depend on money, not to depend on God. Proverbs 10.15 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wealth believe that their protection comes from money, that it somehow is going to wall them and keep them in safe from any kind of harm, whereas the poor are so consumed with acquiring enough money to meet their needs that it becomes the ruin of them. Are you consumed with keeping your money and holding on as tight as you possibly can for fear that you won't be safe? Or are you living in the land of if only? If only I had enough money to be comfortable. If only I had a better job. If only my husband made better financial decisions. If only, if only, if only. Money will disappoint. Depend on God, not on money. The wealthy can be in danger of finding an inordinate confidence from their money, whereas the poor can be just as much in danger of having this inordinate desire for money. It's when we put our focus on money that sometimes we change our character in order to gain more of it. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. Now, here's a series of verses that are entitled The Sayings of Agar. And, it, and we have the opportunity here for him to show us about six or seven things that he views as wise and valuable information for us to have. And we're going to look at just a couple of those in chapter 30, verse 7 and 9. 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Knowing his frailty, in verse 8, he prays to keep falsehood and lies far from him because he knows that both wealth and poverty are deceptive. Wealth causes us to believe that God is not necessary and poverty causes us to believe that God doesn't care. Either way, our heart ends up being hardened. Whenever we are deceived by wealth, by wealth or by poverty, we forget that God loves us so much. And what he provides for us is greater than gold or silver. Just as we see in verse 9 where he says, Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, or say, Who is the Lord? I may become poor and steal to dishonor your name. Because when we're in want, aren't we tempted to try to take things into our own hands? 
we're tempted to try to fix things ourselves. And we start saying, well, God, we will honor you with our first fruits after we get out of debt. We'll honor you with our first fruits after I get my child through college. After I've been able to provide for this need. And it reminds me of a quote that I found. I love how it correlates. John Wesley. He was a theologian in the 1700s. And he made this statement. Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as quickly as I can, lest it should find its way into my heart. Wesley knew this same truth that we see in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. And it's when we start allowing money in our heart to edge out our dependence on God, and that becomes the goal, that we start finding ourselves slipping down this slope of destruction. God has to be the goal, not money. God has to be the goal. Proverbs has a great deal to say about the love of money, about bribery, about ill-gotten gain, and I listed just verse after verse on your verse sheet. So let's look at those. Proverbs 119. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the very lives of those who get it. Proverbs 11.1. 1, the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Proverbs 15.27. A greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. And Proverbs 20, verse 17. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but in the end... He ends up with a mouth full of gravel. We can be tempted by the sweetness of the pleasures all around us. But if we change our character in order to gain that, we've got nothing more than rocks in our mouth. Because nothing apart from God is going to satisfy us. Anything apart from God eventually will turn on us. It may appear sweet at first, but it's deceptive. Are you depending on money to get you through? Are you living in the land of if-onlys? Or are you depending on the Lord alone? What is most valuable to you? Are you living for the line or the dots? If you imagine that all eternity is a line right, where there's no beginning and there's no end. All of eternity is this line, and our time here on earth is nothing more than a tiny little dot on that line. What are you living for? Are you living for that dot? Is that how you make your decisions? Are you living in light of forever, eternity? Jesus, who embodies all of the wisdom that we are studying in Proverbs, says it best on your verse sheet, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, don't live for the dot. Don't live for the here and now. Keep what is most important, most important. Now, if we were to look at your budget or your checkbook, what would we see as most valuable to you? And it's easy to refute that and say, but what about the needs? What about food? What about shelter? 
What about clothing? Or maybe you're sitting out there today and say, Anjanette, you just don't know. You can sit up there and say all of those things, but I can't pay my bills. My car has been repossessed. I am this close to the bank owning my home. You don't know what I'm going through. And I love that Jesus responds to that. Look on your verse sheet again at Matthew 6, 28 through 33. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, Solomon who wrote Proverbs that we're studying, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. I hope you saw that part in there. God sees you. God knows what you need. It's not a surprise. It's not a mystery to him. He sees you exactly where you are. Don't shortchange what God can do simply because you don't understand the why in what he's doing. He loves you so much. Now, does it mean that if you run to him, if you honor him with your first fruits, that your life is going to be easy? No, of course not. You can ask the person who is a faithful follower of God in the impoverished Africa, and they can tell you that no matter how much you honor God, it doesn't always mean your life is easy. You can ask a fellow believer here in our city of Fort Worth, Texas, who is faithfully trying to honor God in each thing that they do, and she can tell you that not, only, not always does God answer with monetary treasures. But it doesn't change the fact that God is trustworthy. It doesn't change the fact that he is our strong tower and that only he can satisfy us. God has to be the goal, not money. That's how we honor him. Now, is it wrong for us to make money here on earth? No. Is it wrong for me one day to have a house that has a dining room and an eating kitchen? Not necessarily. But if I'm making those decisions and I'm ignoring God in the process, that's wrong. Because another principle that a wise woman will remember is God cares how you spend his money. There's not anything that we do in a vacuum in this world. My husband often says that we honor God when we seek to obey him in the nooks and crannies of our lives. I, I get amazed today when I see what people are willing to do for a million dollars. And I'm not talking about illegal or unethical things. All you have to do is turn on TV and the hundreds of reality shows. Right? People are willing to make a total fool of themselves for a million dollars. In 1980, this was before reality TV programming had kind of taken over, um, there was a Chicago radio station, WKOX, that asked the question on air, what would you be willing to do for $10,000? 
Well, 6,000 people responded. And the eventual winner was a man named Jay Gwaltney of Indiana, and he consumed an 11-foot birch sapling tree. Leaves, roots, bark, everything. For the event, he even put on a tuxedo. They set up a nice table with a white tablecloth, even with candles and a little um, vase with a rosebud in it. And he sat there with his pruning shears, starting at the top and going down branch by branch all the way down through the roots. It took him 18 hours over the course of three days. I mean, that is crazy. Absolutely nuts. And sometimes I think we all lose sense whenever we are seeking after spending money, right? We start thinking, well, this makes sense to me. I can do this. I need this. And we put ourselves in these positions that no longer honor God. When we're spending God's money, God desires self-control. Turn with me over to Proverbs 23. Back in your Bible, Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to see in these eight verses how much God cares how we spend his money. And that first of all, he desires self-control. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Do not wear yourselves out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at the riches, and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Do not crave the food of a stingy man. Do not crave, do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies. For he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, and, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten, and you will have wasted your compliments. Verse 2 reminds us that when we sit down with this prestigious host, it's better for us to have a knife to our throat than our knife to the food. Now, is that talking about suicide? No. It's talking about drastic measures that we take to not overindulge. Take drastic measures to keep from spending without self-control. Be wise. Verse 3 tells us not to crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. It's kind of like that Ruffles commercial. I couldn't remember if it was Ruffles or Doritos, the bet you can't just eat one chip. And, and that's what we end up doing, right? We, we get so easily entangled in that great investment opportunity. All right, this is such a good deal. We can't pass this up. It's so easy to get entangled. Verse 4, don't wear yourselves out getting rich. Show restraint. And why do we show restraint? We've already looked at it in verse 5. Because all you have to do is look at riches and they're gone. It's not eternal. You can't take it with you. So have you ever wondered, why is it so important for us to get more and more money? And is there ever a point that you could really say, enough. I, I am comfortable. I have enough. There's a great book that is written by a man named Randy Alcorn. And the book is called The Treasure Principle. 
We sell it in our bookstore. You can find it in most any Christian bookstore. And it's all about this idea of honoring God with our money. And one of the principles that he mentions is, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. That maybe the reason that God has given you an abundance of wealth isn't for your own comfort. Maybe it's for God's glory. I mean, because have you ever thought about why is it that God distributes wealth so unevenly? That somebody over here can have so much and then someone over here doesn't have the food to feed their children. Well, maybe it's because God wants to do something in that heart of the person who has so much. That God wants to be able to work through that person so that they can distribute the wealth to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Look back with me at verse 6 and 8. A stingy man is always thinking about the cost of the food. He may be offering this fine table with these choice foods, but it isn't with a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And also on your verse sheet, Proverbs 11.25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. How is your heart? What are you craving? Are you craving those deceptive delicacies? Or are you craving that joy that comes from being generous? Are you craving that opportunity to be refreshed because you are refreshing others? God desires self-control, and God desires generosity. One of the most generous gifts that I have ever been given, um, about five years ago when my family moved back to Fort Worth, and we were in a position to where we weren't able to go ahead and get a house here until our house sold in Little Rock. And there was a family that's in this church body that knew of our need, and they had a piece of property at the time that they were planning to use five, ten years down the road to um, remodel their business. And they were going to move their business onto this piece of property. And at the time when we moved back to Fort Worth, the only thing that was sitting on that piece of property was this old rundown house. Well, what this family did was they went into that old rundown house and they painted everything in it. They bought a stove and they hooked it up. They put an AC unit in there. They repaired, I mean, there were holes in the wall. This, this house was meant to be torn down. And they fixed all of it up for us to live there four months. Four months rent-free. And right after we moved, the bulldozer took it down. It was all to refresh us. God is good. And he provides through his people. And it refreshes us when he does so. I love this quote by Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was the missionary in the 50s that went to Ecuador. And the very men that he came to share the good news of Jesus Christ ended up killing him. And this is one of the most famous quotes from him. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to say that again because I love it so much. 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God calls us to freely give. It doesn't last. Now, Scripture's clear in Deuteronomy 14. Jot that down. I didn't add it onto your verse sheet. If you want to go and see where God sets up tithing in his law, then go to Deuteronomy 14. The verse that I did put on your verse sheet is 2 Chronicles 31.5. And it clearly relates this idea of giving God your first fruits along with tithing. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, their wine, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Tithing isn't about checking the box. Remember, it's about our heart. It's about giving to him generously. Don't be tempted to think, I've given 10%, I'm done. The rest is for me. Because, ladies, the 10% is the floor of generosity, not the ceiling. This week we looked at several verses about giving to the poor. And the thing that is true about giving to the poor is that it often takes sacrifice on our part. One of my favorite examples of a man who was generous with his wealth is the um, same man that the movie Schindler's List was made about, Oscar Schindler. And if you've ever seen that movie, at the end of the movie, there's this heart-wrenching scene. Because Oscar Schindler had used his great wealth and his great influence in order to literally save the life of thousands of Jews who were being exterminated during World War II's Holocaust. And at the end of the movie, he looks at his car that he still has left, and he said, I didn't need a car. How many lives would this car have been able to save? And he holds up a gold pen, and he said, this is trash. Would that have made a difference? Because we are called to live our lives for Christ. We are called to live for the line, not to live for the dot. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 on your verse sheet says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now God doesn't say only give to the poor when you know what they're going to do with their money. And I'm not standing up here telling you that the way to honor God is to give money to every person who holds up a sign and says, I need money. But have you ever asked God if that's what he wants you to do with his money? Or did you decide on your own it's not a good steward of the money he's given you? God cares how you spend his money. God cares about your heart, and he wants you to be self-controlled. He wants you to be generous. He doesn't want you to chase after fantasies. He wants you to chase after him. There's not a formula that says, do A, B, and C to honor me. God gives you his formula in this whole Bible. He gives you wisdom. And we've looked at just some of those principles today. A wise woman remembers that all money is God's money. A wise woman remembers the limitations of money. A wise woman remembers the temptations that come with money. A wise woman remembers God cares how you spend his money. And finally, a wise woman puts God's principles into action. Don't just be hearers of God's word. Be doers as well. Number one, perspective. 
Keep everything in perspective. It's God's money. And he's going to use whatever means necessary so that you can be a woman to honor him, whether it's in abundance or in want. Keep everything in perspective. Number two, pray. Pray about what God wants you to do to honor him. I believe without a doubt that God has something that he wants to say to you and that he wants to say to me. Ask him. Ask him. Number three, plan. Write down a plan and share it with someone else. So many times I think that we read something or we listen to something and we're convicted, right? And then we even pray about it. And we are shown something specific and then we walk away from it. Write down the plan. It could be as simple as putting as the first day on your calendar, write tithe check. Maybe it's as you get together with your family over the holidays and you talk about the vacations that you're going to do this next year. Maybe each of you write down, we're not going to take this vacation, but we're going to spend the money to give to a missionary. I don't know. Maybe it's just that you're going to make a commitment to God to stop being angry because he's not meeting your needs the way that you expect him to do. And that you're going to write down in your journal every single day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Perspective, pray, plan, and finally proceed. Just do it. Find somebody else to hold you accountable and do it. I mean, we're in a room full of other women who've heard the exact same thing as you. They're not going to be confused when you ask them. Say, this is what God's convicted me of. Would you ask me about it next month if I've done anything? Let's together, as women, honor God with the money that he's allowed us to have. Let's be wise women who honor God with our money. Let me pray. Father God, you are more than we could ever want or desire, and you are faithful, and you do exactly what we need you to do in our lives. Father, thank you for that. Help us to honor you with our best, not with our leftovers. In Jesus' name, amen.